Welcome back to the Power Bar Podcast. This is episode number 80, 80. We've been going for a long time. Episode number 80. Thanks for sticking around if you've listened to all of them. And here we are. Clo- and if you haven't listened to all of them, thank you for sticking around too. Uh, we are closing in now on our church history, the end of our church history lectures. We just have a couple more. Today we're talking about the Germanic uh, barbarian tribes in the fall of Rome. Uh, the, the Visigoths are the ones who sacked Rome in 410 AD. They came from Germany up north of the River Danube. If you remember, the River Danube is what uh, the river that Constantine made secure and protected. That's why he's called Constantine the Great. He's the one who ended the barbarian raids and protected his people. Uh, the Visigoths had a large area uh, of control from Ger- what we would know today as Germany, Poland, the Czech Republic, Slovakia, Hungary, and part of southern Russia. They joined together to resist the Huns, so even farther northeast, the Huns would come down, and the Visigoths and all the other Goths had to get together. Uh, maybe you remember them, the Ostrogoths and the Visigoths and the Franks. <laughs> Excuse me, and the Lombards, and the Vandals, and the Angles, and the Saxons, and the Jutes, and the Burgundians. And so they were all terrified of the Huns. When the Huns came in from the north, the if you recall from a few uh, sessions ago, the Roman Empire let the barbarians in for refuge. So they opened up the border for these refugees from the attack of the Huns, and by doing this, many of the Goths joined Rome. Uh, they even became they became enculturated. They took on Roman status, many of them became soldiers, and the Goths and the Romans got along. They were being formed, of course, unfortunately, by the Arians. Remember, Arians are the, uh, they they believe that Jesus was just a man. He was the first and the greatest of God's creations, but Jesus is not God. And so, remember, John says in his epistles that the Antichrist's Remember, there's more than one, it are those who believe that the Son of God did not come in the flesh. And so this would be a, a Christological heresy. And the Visigoths became Arians. And perhaps you remember the story of Ulphila. Remember, he lived from 311 to 381. He became the bishop to the Goths. He is the one who trans, uh, create. they had a spoken language, but they didn't have a written language, the Visigoths. So Ulphila took their spoken language and made an alphabet for it and taught them the alphabet, then taught them how to read, and then uh, translated the Bible for them. Uh, talk about a good life's work. Good job, Ophila. And he died in 381, but in 376, that's when the Visigoths came across the Danube River into the Roman Empire to get away from the Huns. So they came across in 376. The city of Rome fell in 410. And the Visigoths settled in two towns. Uh, they became Arians during the reign of Emperor Valens. Uh, the Vandals and the Lombards and the Ostrogoths and the Burgundians also were Arians. However, the Jutes and the Angles and the Saxons and the Franks, uh, they were all pagans. The, uh, they, they remained pagan primarily. They worshipped the deno- demonic idols. 
I just pressed my mute button because I had to sneeze. I hope it worked. <laughs> they uh, worship the demonic idols like Wotan or Woden, or as we know him today, Odin, who is their chief god. Uh, Thor, of course, the god of thunder, and Freya was a goddess, and Taiwaz, a god of war, Seder, a water god. Um, we still carry these names around with us today. You think, for example, uh, Tuesday is Tiwaz Day. You know, he's the god of war. Tiwaz Day. Wednesday is Woden's Day. Thursday is Thor's Day. Friday is Freya's Day. Saturday is Seder's Day, and so on. But we, uh, this shouldn't worry any of you Christians out there. We have taken dominion over the week. Time belongs to us. Jesus is the Lord of time. We don't have to be afraid of the names of our days. We have claimed them for Christ. He is the Lord of the calendar. So the Visigoths came into the empire in 376 AD, and in 378, in just two years, the Visigoths went to war against Emperor Valens. So uh, they came in for refuge, and then they went to war. Uh, and they attacked Emperor Valens and his soldiers at a city called Adrianople. The next, uh, they defeated him, and the next emperor, Theodosius, was the one who restored order and made the Visigoths allies again. But when Theodosius died, the king of the Visigoths, King Alaric, wanted more territory in the Roman Empire, and he headed to Italy, and in 410 AD, he and his soldiers took the city of Rome. So it was a territory battle. They wanted more land. They began to burn the city down to kill the people, but they let the churches remain. The Visigoths did not burn down any of the churches. Jerome wrote that the city that had once conquered the world had now itself been conquered. And then, interestingly enough, by 419, so nine years later, the Visigoths packed up and moved to France. While the Visigoths were taking Rome, the Vandals, so while that was happening, the Vandals came through France and Spain, through the Gibraltar, and down into North Africa. And if you remember, in North Africa at this time is our beloved Augustine. Augustine died while the Vandals were attacking his city in 430 AD. King Genseric established his Vandal kingdom in, the North, in North Africa, and he took Christians and he made them slaves. Uh, he, so Genseric, the Vandal king, took Christians and he made them work in the forest to cut timber for his ships. He wanted to build a fleet of ships and form a navy. The last Roman emperor died in 476 AD, and when he died, he was replaced with a German king. So in 476, the Roman emperors end. In the east where Constantinople was, however, remember the, the Roman Empire was sort of divided into two. Uh, Rome and the, the city in the west, uh, Constantinople, the empire in the east. And Constantinople was safe and was still going. And this became known as the Byzant Byzantium Empire. But something happened in the West uh, to change things forever for the church. The Frankish king Clovis married a princess in 493, and she's a Christian. Her name is Clotilda. We'll, we'll get to meet Clotilda one day. She was uh, a Christian who confessed the Nicene Creed. Woohoo! She's a Trinitarian. And she wanted her husband, Clovis, to become a Christian as well. 
but Clovis said no. In 496, he went to battle against the Alemanni, and he prayed, just see if this reminds you of anybody we know, and he prayed that if God would save him and his, and his people in this battle and give him the victory, he would become a Christian, repent, and be baptized. He said, here's Clovis's prayer. O Jesus Christ, Clotilda, remember that's his wife, holds that you are the son of the living God. You graciously pour out your assistance on people in trouble, and victory comes to people who put their trust in you. In faith, I cry for your glorious aid. If you will hand me victory over those who attack me, and I get proof of these miracles tasted by those committed to your name. He says, so if, if you give by faith, I ask for your help. And if you help me, then I'll know all these other uh, miraculous things that people have mentioned. I'll know that they're true. And I will exercise faith in you and submit to your baptism. I've cried to my own gods to help me, but it is painfully obvious they're not going to help me. You know, maybe they're, as Elijah would say, maybe they're in the bathroom. So I cannot credit them with any power. They do not intervene to rescue people who trust in them. So I now cry out to you. I long to believe in you, especially that I may escape my foes. And, well, of course, Clovis won the battle, and he was promptly baptized into the church, and his kingdom of the Franks became a Christian kingdom. Uh, Christians look to Clovis. Remember I said, see if this story reminds you of anybody? Christians look to Clovis to be a new Constantine, leading the Franks out of darkness and into God's marvelous light. Now, there's a man named Gregory of Tours, T-O-U-R-S, Gregory of Tours. He's the one who, around this time, wrote down the history of the Franks. And that's how we know what happened, uh, and that's how we know Clovis's prayer. Uh, Gregory of Tours was a bishop to the Franks, and he taught them, of course, to leave their idols behind, because, uh, remember, the Franks were becoming a Christian kingdom, and Gregory was there to be, he was the bishop over them, and yet these people were baptized Christians, and they were living like pagans because they still had their idols. So Gregory's big battle was to get uh, these Franks, these Christian Franks, to relinquish their idols. Another important fellow at this time is a man named Boethius. It's just a fun name to say. Uh, his full name is Manlius Severinus Boethius. <laughs> Manlius. He was a, a very smart man, was the counselor to the king of the Ostrogoths, Theodoric, and Theodoric started to persecute the church. Theodoric was not a Christian, apparently, and he hated Christians. And Boethius, his right-hand man, his counselor, the second in command, Boethius, being a Christian, was arrested and imprisoned and tortured. While Boethius was in prison, he wrote a book about finding comfort in God's providence. And how he wrote a book on how God interacts with people in the world, you know, God who is infinite and not bound by time, how does he interact with people in the world? How does God's sovereignty and providence relate to the actions of history and the will of men? And this is one of those first uh, theological books to tackle such a subject as this, uh, head-on directly. And this would be a book that would be read in the church uh, by her pastors for over a thousand years. Very significant piece of literature. It was called The Consolation of Philosophy. Uh, and of course, that means consolation of the love of wisdom. Boethius also brought what we know as classical education into the church. His uh, education program was based on the trivium and the quadrivium. So if anybody's part of 
classical conversations, the method of education goes back to Boethius. Boethius taught the trivium of uh, grammar, rhetoric, and logic. How does it go in classical conversations? Parrot, uh, parrot, poet, no, parrot, pert, poet, parrot, parrot, poet, pert. I don't remember. Uh, something like that. And with the quadrivium, he so that was the the phases of education. And then with the quadrivium, he gives the categories of education, which were arithmetic, geometry, music, and astronomy. Very interesting four categories. Not astrology. Remember, he's not a pagan, but astronomy. Pretty much just studying of the cosmos. How does the cosmos work? Now, one by uh, Boethius, very significant, and of course, Christians, at least here in the West, some of us still function on his educational paradigm. One by one, the Gothic kingdoms began leaving Arianism and accepting the Nicene Creed. Woohoo! Uh, and another important fellow is Benedict of Nursia. This is, uh, he lived from 480 to 547. He grew up in Nursia, which is in northern Italy. And he ended up as a hermit in the desert where he thought it was a good idea. And so he was being, uh, well, he was, he had, let's say, a strong desire to fulfill his lusts. <laughs> um, he was continually assaulted with uh, thoughts of sexuality. And he attributed all these things, this desire in him to demons, that he was being afflicted by demons because he, he knew it was sinful. He didn't want anything to do with it. He hated it. And yet in his wrestlings with this uh, lustful thoughts keep coming, kept coming back to him. So he decided, I'm just going to remove myself from the world. I'm going to get away from these trials uh, and these temptations and live as a hermit in the desert. And, uh, but it didn't help. It didn't help. The problem, of course, was not uh, the world or the women in the world. The problem was Benedict's heart. Uh, but he thought that since he was being afflicted by demons, that it would be a good idea to, to get the demons to leave him. This was his plan. Are you ready? He would take off all of his clothes and he would find a patch of thorns and thistles and he would roll around naked in them. <laughs> this is what, I think this is what you get when you mix uh, pagan Greek mysticism with the Christian faith. To get these demons to leave him alone, he had to shed his blood. And well, we know that's not a good idea. But Benedict, in 529, built a monastery, and he took care of the people. He took care of the poor, and men ended up joining him there. So the poor would come and be uh, taken care of by Benedict, be fed by him, be clothed by him, be given a place to stay, and they stayed. And they became Christians, they became monks. And to help these monks lead holy lives, he wrote a rule book for them. And uh, this is called the Rule of St. Benedict which is, again, still around today. You may have heard of it. And part of these rules, including uh, each day, see if you can do that, see if, if your kids are listening, have them do the math. Each day was to be divided into three parts. You were to worship God together for four and a half hours every day. You were to engage yourself in manual labor for six to seven hours every day. You were to study the Bible and Christian teachers for three to five hours every day. And you were supposed to get eight hours of sleep each night. 
This was the life of the monks, which you can tell would be very fruitful and productive for the world. That was it. That was a joke. Uh, more monasteries were built, and they became known as Benedictine monasteries, Benedictine monks. His rule, as I said, became known as the Benedictine rule, and he is known as the father of the monks. Now, one well-known Benedictine monk became the Pope in Rome. His name is Gregory the Great, and we will talk about Gregory next time at the Parbar Podcast. If you've been enjoying these episodes on church history, uh, let me know. If you have any, uh, we're nearing the end of the church history stuff here, so if you have any topics that you'd like to be addressed from the desk of Pastor Jonah here on Parbar Podcast, please let me know as well. You can email me at parbarpodcast at protonmail.com, and I look forward to hearing to hearing from you. Thank you for listening. Thank you.